Welcome back to the Wide Right Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, your Miami Hurricanes beat writer at The Athletic. And today, as we record this around uh, 10.30 at night, December 1st, Tuesday, uh, Miami Hurricanes now know that uh, the only way they're going to get into the ACC championship game is if the Clemson Tigers, a three-touchdown favorite, lose to Virginia Tech on Saturday and that uh, they take care of business, Miami does, against Duke and North Carolina to finish the season. It's the only way in to the ACC championship game at this point because uh, the ACC decided today that uh, Notre Dame, who's ranked number two in the college football playoff standings, has clinched a spot in the uh, ACC championship game. So that's uh, after what's been what's felt like weeks and weeks and weeks of uh, cancellations uh, because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, Notre Dame was supposed to play Wake Forest. Wake Forest, of course, um, was Miami's opponent uh, or supposed to be their opponent this week. Then the ACC decided, you know, Wake Forest had more positive COVID tests. Well, we're going to switch Miami uh, to play Duke. And now as we record this Tuesday night, uh, the ACC's basically said, look, we'd love to have a Notre Dame Clemson ACC championship game. Screw everybody else. This is over with. All Clemson has to do is win. And uh, Miami, uh, sorry, you lost 42-17 to the Irish. So, anyway, that was kind of the big story tonight. I brought in Walter Villa. Walter, of course, has been a guest many times on this uh, program. Uh, he's the host of Front Page 305 podcast on Sirius XM Radio. He's a freelance writer for the Miami Herald, covers FIU football. But he knows a lot about the Canes, and that's why I always bring him on here. Walter, thanks for uh, coming on and joining me uh, late tonight to do this. Navarro, relax. You're talking about a million miles a minute. Let's just be honest with our listeners. The first attempt at this show did not get recorded. Now I think you're doing like an Evelyn Wood speed reading. Because you want just relax, dude. We'll get it done. I'm, I'm assuming you press record this time. It'll be fine. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, my daughter, Olivia, my little one, my five-year-old, she was in the room next door. She, uh, I tried to put her to bed. She said, Dad, I want to be with you in the room. I'm scared. That's, of course, because my mo- my wife and my daughter, other daughter, the oldest daughter, Jocelyn, are downstairs watching uh, a program. And so Olivia was with me. And, and so I said, OK, you can come in the room, but you got to be quiet because Daddy's got to record this podcast. And, of course, you know, Olivia, being five years old, and curious and wanting to be involved, didn't go to sleep like she said she would. And uh, I forgot to hit the record button amid all the distractions let's, and all the little whispers. Blame, let's not blame a five-year-old for your, uh, you know, your inefficiency there, your uh, your issues. Yes, yes, my issues. You're right. I shouldn't blame her. It's my fault. Like, like she said, don't worry, Daddy. You get them next time. So uh, that was uh, nice uh, advice from. Uh, Young Olivia. So anyway, Walvi, I will slow my speech down. I, I was trying to speed up just so that I could get through this a little faster, considering we just spent 25 minutes talking Canes <laughs> football. Um, I guess your initial reaction to this news, man, uh, just the, the Notre Dame getting in Miami sort of being put in this position where now, you know, they've got no chance, no chance uh, uh, if, if Clemson blows out Virginia Tech. Is it fair? I guess we can start with that. 
okay with it. I, I, I feel like I'm going to be repeating myself because we said it in the outtakes of our first attempt at this uh, podcast. But I, I, I'm okay with it because I don't think that Miami is on that echelon of Clemson. Certainly that was proven. Probably not on the echelon of Notre Dame. I have my, a little bit of, of doubts about Notre Dame. Of course, they beat Clemson without Trevor Lawrence. So they're a little bit uh, – they're, they're, they're not quite proven to me yet. But So I, I'm okay with it from that standpoint. Let's be real about what Miami is at this juncture. They're good, but they've been struggling to beat, you know, some kind of mediocre teams. And so I'm more focused as a Hurricanes fan – to, to, to win these three games, whatever bowl they go to, hopefully win that. And as you mentioned in our first go at this, hold on to those recruits. And, and really the big game, obviously, they can't look past Duke because they've been beaten. It's, it's almost impossible to believe they've lost two in a row to Duke. But the big one is North Carolina, Manny. And that's, uh, that's what, the 12th? And that'll be four days before National Signing Day. The early period begins on December 16th. And, you know, these kids are very impressionable. These recruits, that'll be the last bit of information they get before they put pen to paper. And so and I know you agree with me on this. That that is huge just to win these two games, especially to beat North Carolina, which is going to be what, 60 to 59 shootout with with the way North Carolina can score. Uh, So so my focus is less on the ACC title game and winning these next couple. Yeah. Again, to, to repeat myself of what I said a little over half an hour ago, is that, yeah, mission this year wasn't necessary to win a national championship. It would have been nice. It would have been great to get into the college football play. It would have been awesome to win the ATC championship. But let's face it, uh, this roster still needs a lot more depth, needs a lot more talent. We saw that in the Clemson game. And right now it's December 1st, and Miami still has both of its five-star recruit commitments in this class uh, and Leonard uh, Taylor and uh, what's his face? James, James Williams. Williams. James yeah. I, I blanked out for a second. I was going through my Rolodex of recruits that I've covered for 25 years. I'm like, wait a minute, don't say somebody from last year, say somebody from this year. Um, those two guys that, you know, at the start of it, to be dead honest with you, I, I thought there's no way in hell Miami was going to get those guys to stick those hometown studs. And I thought for sure Miami was going to lose two, three, four games this season because of COVID and because I didn't think the roster was that great. But somehow, some way, Manny Diaz has found a way to survive and, you know, be in this position where on December 1st, you're 7-1, and one, you're ranked 10th in the country. And not only are they in position to keep the recruits they've got, they're in a position where they could steal some recruits from other other teams right now. I, I host the show Monday through Friday uh, – onsideradio.com with uh, Andrew Ivins, who's from 247 Sports, and he covers uh, recruiting for Inside the U. We talked about this on our Monday episode, but this is the season when all the guys, like this week is when everybody who is a stud who's committed to a shitty program says, you know what, I'm decommitting, and I'm going to open things back up because it's just the way things go. And and when I say crappy program or or shitty program, I can say bad words on this, by the way, Walvi. there you go. I'm talking about the Michigans. I'm talking about the Tennessees. I'm talking about everybody right now who is having a shit season and Miami can pounce on these guys. And so I think, you know, that's the position Manny has put himself in, but they've got to finish strong. They've got to be Duke. They've got to be North Carolina. And yeah, the Georgia tech game is December 19th, but there are going to be some kids who don't sign in the early signing period 
we're going to see how things finish and to see how, you know, what coaches leave and they're going to wait till February to sign. So maybe then there's more additions that can happen then as well. So it's all about finishing the season strong, not getting embarrassed, not, you know, sort of losing your footing. And as a Miami fan, while it's disappointing that the ACC was like, okay, Notre Dame, you're in, don't worry about playing Wake Forest. I think there are, the ACC was also in a position where COVID-19 has really affected some teams badly uh, there's teams that have, have been decimated by infections and, and, and having to keep players out and contact tracing and all that. And, and I think Wake Forest, by the way, they've had a pretty good season. They're not a bad team. Um, yeah, they, they just, score. they were affected by it. And so Miami dodged the bullet by not having to play at Wake Forest, which I thought would have been a tough game for them. Meanwhile, yeah. they also get hurt by the fact that Wake Forest is dealing with COVID-19 because now they can't play Notre Dame and, so, look, yeah. whatever. I mean, okay. the ACC wants to get Clemson and Notre Dame in a rematch. It's the best thing for TV. It was a great game a couple you know, weeks back or a month ago, whenever it was. And it's going to be a great matchup again in the ACC championship game. So from a TV perspective, from a conference perspective, I get it. It's not fair to Miami per se, but it's a crazy year. It's 2020. And, uh, look, Miami had their opportunity. If they would have beat Clemson on the road, they would have been in the ACC championship game. If Notre Dame sure. wasn't in the ACC this year because of COVID and they weren't independent, they would have been in the ACC championship game because they would have won the Coastal and uh, Clemson or, would have won or, the Atlantic. And that's what you would, you would have had a traditional matchup, assuming Miami beats Duke in North Carolina. Or even if they had made the Clemson game close, I would have had a different attitude if, if they were close. But they weren't. They were never in that game. They weren't close to me. Focus for me isn't on ACC title game. The focus is on, you know, beating Duke, um, beating North Carolina, holding on to those recruits, as you've pointed out. Uh, correctly many many times that's the focus acc title game that's not for this year no not at all so uh look miami's gonna play duke this week 8 8 p.m kickoff on acc network i know that pisses off a lot of miami fans because they don't have the acc network you gotta get youtube or or you know they don't have it on xfinity down here or or comcast or whatever and uh so they can't they can't watch uh the the network they gotta pay and they're upset that another game. But, hey, you know what? Your team is playing this week. There was a good chance that we're going to have three consecutive weeks without playing a football game. And I'll tell you what. Yes, Duke is 2-7. and seven, But, Walter, like, ask any team to sit around and not even work out for, for two weeks and then get back on a football field and play a game against a team you didn't even do any scouting against because right. they weren't on the schedule. I mean, there's going to be some rustiness in this game for Miami. I know they're listed as a two-touchdown favorite. They, but they should, they should, they, the, the, the scouting thing, no, because they've had plenty of time to scout them. And, and I've, I've seen Duke play this year. They are a slow, you know, when you write slow in the newspaper, you put S dash L dash O dash W. They're slow, dude. I mean, they, their speed should show in that game big time. By the way, on the recruiting front, uh, somebody told me, I didn't really verify this, but Florida State lost a quarterback because of their shitty season. And yes. maybe, maybe Miami could pounce on Florida State's uh, woes. Right. Well, I mean, that's the thing is everybody's – it's a feeding frenzy, right? So I, I don't know if Miami will necessarily be able to pounce on that quarterback. I think a lot of it for quarterbacks in particular has to do with relationships. And so right. I think Miami's best opportunity is to get somebody that Rhett Lashley has been going after uh, for a while now. Right. Now I know everybody's hope, holding out hope that, that Jake Garcia, uh, the kid who, who who's uh, committed to USC – would flip at the last minute. Um, 
but USC, they haven't had a bad season. I think they're still unbeaten. <laughs> it's, it's not like they're playing terribly. Um, and, and I think the what other kid they wanted, Jalen Milrow. What's that? They're USC. undefeated. What? They won or no in the Pac-12? 3 and 0. 3 and 0, but uh the other kid I think Jalen Milrow was committed to Alabama, right? Isn't then he dropped like Texas to go to Alabama? That's another guy that they were after. I mean, it's kind of like Rhett Lashley said this today in his or yesterday in his uh press conference. You know, for Miami, yes, they'd love to get a quarterback in this class, but it's got to be the right fit. And so, uh I know a lot of people like Tyler Van Dyke uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens uh, with the quarterback position. But, well, let's get into uh, my mailbag. I emailed you a list of questions that I got from the athletic uh, subscribers, guys who leave me questions. And I and I really feel like a lot of these guys are really smart. They ask good questions. Uh, dif- definitely the different kind of readers than I had at the Miami Herald when I had a bunch of uh, nitwits just screaming, fire this coach and fire that coach. And why the-? just yelling and screaming. These are like educated readers. So I like answering these questions. Go ahead. I, I still write for the Miami here. I'm not going to put down the readers, but these are smart questions. I'll agree with you there. <laughs> well, the first one is from Jason B. And he's, he's talking about the guys that have left early for the, for the University of Miami football team. He says, understanding each player's situation is unique. Is there any particular item or two which you could attribute this trend, i.e. misleading? misleading draft report, egos, et cetera. In other words, why are these guys uh, repeatedly leaving early and then either getting undrafted or getting, you know, a, a flyer in the seventh round and not really uh, maximizing their, their draft ability? Well, considering we, we already did a dress rehearsal of this question in the previous uh, podcast that failed to uh, have the record button hit, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fine-tune my answer here a little bit. Number one, I think, as I mentioned before, these guys are getting advice from agents that say, don't worry about the first contract. It's all about your second contract because the second contract is always more lucrative than the rookie contract that's signed. Uh, I, I got that from, from a, a conversation with John Beeson at the ACC uh, football meetings a year and a half ago, uh, which feels like 10 years ago but because of COVID. But he and I talked. He's very close with a lot of uh players he was close with Shaq Quarterman and Michael Pinckney and he basically tacked uh got Shaq Quarterman to come back and say look it doesn't matter go back get your education finish you know you you can you can get that deal that second deal if you prove more as a senior versus being some junior if you don't have if you're not the hot name as a junior teams may just skip out on you and so I think um that's part of it I think the other part of it is the losing um, at Miami, the mediocrity, the six and seven, the seven and six season, some guys just don't want to be a part of that. Whereas at Clemson or, or Alabama or some other program that somehow is able to keep some of their seniors, I think part of it is they're coming back to winning programs or programs that have a chance to win a championship. So I think those are the two main factors. And I know, Walter, I'm going to steal your answer here uh, from the previous mm-hmm. recording when yeah. you brought when you brought up the fact that, uh, you know, the Miami coaches – uh, or just coaches in general, they may have their own reason to tell kids uh, to stay, right? Because they're they're coaching and they want to win, and and so who do you trust? And and it, and it creates this sort of tough position for these kids to be put in. So, right, and the, and, the agent the agent has his vested interest. The coach has his vested interest, and and it's tough for the for the kid to sort it out. I, I also part of my response to your your answer last time we did this was uh, it, it also has to do with the, 
the educational aspirations of these players. You know, you see it in the baseball draft when a kid signs with a junior college because he maybe doesn't have good grades. I mean, that guy's going to be, if the pros are interested, they're going to, it's going to be an easy sign. If a guy conversely has a scholarship to Vanderbilt or Duke, some of the higher achieving academic institutions, they know the signing bonus is going to have to be heavy duty to, to match what those guys have in the value of that education. So if the kid, if the kid doesn't uh, value education, then yeah, he probably should, he should, should probably sign. Now, if the kid is a serious student and maybe he's closing in on his bachelor's or his master's or whatever, it might behoove him to, to, to come back and stay and, and, and have a great time at the university. And that leads us to our next question, Navarro. And uh, I know this by heart already, but the, uh, it was, again, Jason, and he was talking about uh, D.R. King. And the question was, if you're Manny Diaz, you know, again, a lot of, of course, Hurricanes fans, they're not really thinking in D.R. King's best interest. They're thinking what's best interest of the Canes. And, and Jason wanted to know, if you're Manny Diaz, what would you, get, what would you tell D.R. King so he comes back for yet one more year? Yeah, uh, all of this is illegal. Manny Diaz can't do this. But this is what I would do if I was Manny Diaz. I'd, I'd take him down to some uh, hot South Beach party after the coronavirus pandemic is solved, right? When Manny Diaz comes up with the remedy to solve the, the coronavirus pandemic. And then I introduce him to like a gang of really hot looking women on South Beach and say, Eric, does anybody, do these ladies know who you are? Let me introduce you. You were the star quarterback at the University of Miami. How about you have one of these for a girlfriend? And then after I'm done with that, I drive down to Williamson Cadillac and I say, hey guys, Derek's looking for about 250,000. Uh, what can we do here to make him your pitch man? Can we get that done? Of course, many Diaz can't do any of that. But in a, you know, in that equal, in that uh, uh, evil world of, of college football, right, where they get away with all kinds of crazy stuff in the movies, that's what I would do if I was Manny. He can't do that, though, because that's breaking the rules. And, and name, image, and likeness, it has to be worked out between the athletes and the advertisers. Um so many of these can't be the middleman. Nobody at the University of Miami can be the middleman. But if those two things were to be factors, Derek King all of a sudden falls in love with a with, with some beautiful young lady down here and, and he, he's making a lot of money, that might convince him. What all what also might convince him is uh Miami goes 10 and 1 or 11 and 1, uh, like we said. Maybe if they finished all, you know, they played the three regular season games and then win a bowl game, and all of a sudden they go in the next year with Derek King coming back as a top five ranked team. Right. That would that would sell the King to come back. Uh, you know, you have a chance to win a national championship and raise your draft stock. Me personally, I look at the and I say he can be successful at the NFL, whether he's a quarterback or he's a receiver or running back. I think he really projects more as into what some NFL teams are looking for right now. A guy like a Tyreek Hill type who's blazing fast. And maybe you use him in a lot of different ways. You direct snap the ball to him. You run some trick plays and end around reverse, th- you know, let Derek throw a bomb off of a reverse. Offensive coordinators in the NFL are getting really creative. It's becoming more like the college game with spread offenses and p- fast pace and all that kind of stuff. There's a way for Derek King to be on the field and help your football team win. And I think ultimately a team is going to look at him and, and value him as a fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round pick because he doesn't have the size to be an NFL quarterback. He doesn't have what Kyler Murray has, which makes him really, really special. Um, but Didn't, uh, he's still good enough to play the NFL and in the NFL, in my mind. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit dubious as to if he is. Didn't the Dolphins have the kid, Malcolm Perry, I think out of one of the military, I think Navy, Navy. Right, they got him, I think, in the sixth or seventh round, right? 
like in the, I think in the seventh round and he was wildly successful in, in college, put up huge numbers and rookie year. I mean, he, not, he may not be in the league next year, to be honest. He's maybe he will, maybe he won't, but he's not doing anything at this level. I think it's very difficult. I, I think actually um, with Manny Diaz, your namesake with Manny Diaz, I would, I would take a different tact. I just be honest. I think if you're honest with the kid, maybe even tell him, Hey, listen, if you want to come back, come back, we'd love to have you get your master's degree and, and, and what have you. But you know, you're 23. Is he 23 about? Yeah. He's 23 23 years old. And I says, look, Derek, if you, if you know, you need to support your family. I know he lost his dad, his mom overcame cancer, all things you mentioned in our first attempt at, at taping this. Um, and if, and I think that builds credibility with the kids, I think he's got to be genuine with them. And, and I think that will, the kids will see that. And, and, and I don't think he should be standing in the Eric's way. I think he should be helping him, you know, get the most information and make his own decision. Yeah, um, right. Manny, we're gonna, go ahead. I was going to say, just to add to it, Rhett Lashley was asked yesterday about Eric, and he said, look, he's really helped us win. He's, do he's done a lot of good things and he could play at the next level. Now, would he love for Derek to come back next year, assuming Rhett Lashley is still here? Yeah, I, I think so. Obviously, this offense works in large part because of what Derek does. But in the end, this is Derek's decision. And if he wants to go get paid, I think he can go get paid. Will he be a first, second, third, fourth round pick? Will he be a quarterback next level? I don't know. I, I see him more as a unique sort of weapon that a team takes a chance on with a late pick and then gives him an opportunity to play. I, I can see that more so than, than him being a quarterback. Got you. Uh, let's go to our next question. And this is, uh, this is from Benjamin G. And I love this question because it seems like this guy was listening to one of our conversations that you and I had, you and I had <laughs> earlier this year because I had noticed that you're doing a lot of pro football focused stats. You seem like you really fell in love with uh, PFF. Hey, and I'm paying so a lot of money for that subscription. That's how I was going to use it. <laughs> Yeah, so he, he's very astute, this reader, and he says, I'm guessing with the limited non-traditional access you have due to COVID, you are finding PFF hugely helpful. Have you run into any stats that really surprise you when it comes to any of the Canes this year? Are there any stats that you feel don't align with what you're seeing with your own eyes or hearing from sources within the program? It's a great question. Yeah. First off, let me be totally nakedly honest here. I'm using a lot of PFF because I paid for it out of my own pocket to have access to it. And I feel like it's good information. I think these guys spend a lot of time, energy and effort breaking down film. And I think it's 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 like ignoring scientists. You're going to listen to the scientists. Well, they're football scientists and they're giving you good information that you can't get elsewhere because they're actually dissecting film. Now, is it exactly what the coaches see themselves do they know the exact assignments that these guys have no it's not a perfect science but it's a science and i feel like the more information i can provide my readers the better secondly yes the access does suck there is no one-on-one -on -one access uh, everybody's doing things on zoom together there are gangbang interviews and i feel like repeating all of the quotes that they say they tell everybody else isn't giving any of my my readers a whole lot more information they can get elsewhere. So it's made things difficult. It's made things challenging as, as a reporter this year. So that's why I'm using more of PFF because it is unique information. Now, uh, as far as what I see with my own eyes, I think the grades, some of the grading that I look at, I, I say, well, I don't know if I would have graded out a performance the same way. And I think the grades at times can be misleading, um, you know, 
A perfect example of this is is uh, Bubba Bolden. Okay, uh, he's played really well at times, and he's played really poor at others. And sometimes the difference in the grading between games isn't that much. It, it's it, the way the variances in it. Um, meanwhile, I see the way other teams are graded, and I've watched other teams play, and I say to myself, "Hmm, the grading here seems a lot more forgiving than it does for Miami." Miami feels like they're getting a lot more. Um, criticism. Uh, and again, all of these ga- games are graded by different evaluators, not like the same guys watching every single football game. So you're going to see varying opinions. So to me, I think that's something as a reader, you have to have in the back of your mind. And one thing pro football focus doesn't tell us is, is it the same evaluator for every Miami football game? We don't know. It doesn't say who breaks down the film. Obviously it's an employee of the program. So if we knew who broke, who broke down the film, then we'd know. Now, one thing I'll say Miami's improved in some areas. I think offensive line pass protection, certainly they're better at it. Um, But, you know, you have to look at every number and every grade and, and say to yourself, uh, you know, you do have to trust your eyes somewhat. You can't just go off of what they tell you. And I think I look at certain guys on this team, like uh, Jared Williams is a perfect example. He's a transfer from Houston he's not graded nearly as high as some other guys in the country. And yet I look at the job he's done this year and I feel like, you know what? He's probably one of the better offensive tackles in the ACC. Again, we don't know who's doing all the grades, you know? So um, a guy like Jalen Phillips at times he's been elite at other times he hasn't Um, the grading for him, not on, not on par with some other guys at Duke and other places. And I'm thinking to myself, I'd rather have Jalen Phillips than some of the dudes I'm seeing with higher grades. So again, it's just, it's a matter of perspective. And I think most NFL evaluators like Dane Brugler, who we have at the athletic who, who breaks down film on his own. When I talk to those guys and I talk to scouts and insiders, their views don't always match up to whatever it is PFF is saying. I think you need to sort of separate the concept of, Pro Football Focus all rep- also represents where these guys are going to get drafted. I think what Pro Football Focus does is they simply grade the player on their performance. NFL scouts grade them on their potential, and there's a big difference between the two of them. Yeah, it's another tool for you to use. I, I, I When you're listening to you, I, I'm reminded of when I was a, a deputy sports editor in Pittsburgh at the Tribune Review, and I, I got – access to the Steelers general manager in a one-on-one conversation. And it was, it was great. One of the best GMs in the league. And so I got a chance to ask him some of the stuff I was, you know, always curious about. And, and one of those things was, you know, when they, when they're, they break down the film during the year of a, of a particular prospect and then comes the, the combine. And, and how do you weigh the combine as opposed to the film? And you, right. what, what do you think he said? He said he said the film was way more important, and he said the combine to him would a lot of times verify what he was watching on film. It might be a red flag or something like that. But he said he basically said the film and what you know what he was watching that was the most important thing, and not to fall in love with. I mean, and it's a slightly different topic, but it was interesting to see how they evaluate it because you see. Uh, Vernon Golston of Ohio State, he was, you know, great combine numbers and he turned out to be a flop. And sometimes, you know, evaluators fall in love with those those measurables. Um, well, let's go yeah. to our next question. Yeah, if, anything I, could, else if I could add one more element to, to what you were talking about there, Walter, real quick. Um, 
here's something else to add. I had a conversation with a scout um, right before the season opener uh, for Miami when they were going to play UAB. And I wanted to know who he was coming to evaluate and who was on his radar. Well, right. of course, everybody know who, who was on the radar, right? It was Gregory Rousseau and Brevin Rousseau. Jordan at the start of the season. But I also knew, hey, there's this kid, Jalen Phillips, and there's this kid, Bubba Bolden, who have the NFL bodies, have the pedigree, right? They're the four or five-star recruit, elite, elite kids coming out of high school. They don't have a lot on film. And so when I asked this scout, you know, and there were multiple guys there, we were having this conversation, other scouts from other teams, it was three NFL teams. Um, they were all like, yeah, uh, of course, we're here to watch Brevin. You know, it's a shame Rousseau isn't going to play. I really wanted to see more of him. And then when I brought up Bubba and, and Jalen, the response was, yeah, I, I heard of Bubba. It's too bad he got hurt, but I, I don't, haven't seen enough of him. And with Jalen, it, it was like he wasn't even on the radar. Like, it shows you that these dudes sit there all day breaking down film, breaking down film, breaking down film. And if you don't have any film, you're not on the radar. Like, they may come to a game and you may flash, but they want to see film. And I think that's the priority. That's what I've gathered from doing this for many years now is film, as you mentioned, is the priority. And then the combine and those little private workouts, yes, that helps. But it almost is like that's what creates the pecking order of, of when they sit there and they do their boards of who's better. I think the film gets you on the board and then the combine and everything else Reaffirm. breaks down what order you, you're, you're chosen in. Yeah, and and I'm a, and, and of those two kids, I'm a huge fan. Not that I don't like Bubba Bolden, of Jalen Phillips, and it's because – the sturdiness I've seen in him, everybody wants to get the sack numbers, but what I've seen him against Iran is what I really, really love about his game. And he's, it's been a big, big help for him to put that film on this year. Um, Navarre, ready for your next question? Go ahead. All right. So this is another double dip. Benjamin G again, uh, shorter question this time. He wants to know, do you have a sense if, if the uh, Canes recruits will be signing in December or pushing it to national signing day, I'm going to steal your response real quick. I'm going to say, Manny, I'm going to guess you're the expert that it's going to be December. I think like 80% of the kids sign in December. What do you think? I think there's a lot of pressure for kids to sign in December. I also think the elite kids, the kids that are upper echelon that everybody in the country will take. If they want to wait, they can wait. But that next level, that second tier, that third tier of kids, the, the four stars or the, the, the high three stars, they've got to sign now or their scholarship's going to go to somebody else. Because here's the thing you got to remember. Um, while you have 24, 25 counters, 25 scholarships you can use in this, uh, everybody can use, you also have a lot of kids that are going to be coming back who didn't play this season, who are juniors or seniors that say, you know what? Uh, I'm going to transfer to another program. And if you don't sign in the early signing period, you're hurting yourself badly because that field is going to the, the field of available scholarships because of transfers and because of guys who, who decide to come back seniors and juniors, they're going to take the precedent over you in terms of the spot of, and playing time and, and et cetera, because those coaches are going to say, you know what? Yeah, you're a talented freshman, but I got somebody else just like you who I think I can develop the same way into the kind of player that I want you to be. And I'd rather have the assurance of you coming on my team and signing in December versus waiting around to, to decide if you're 
you know, it, it, that we're the right fit for you in, in February, because if not, I can just go to the transfer portal. I can go here. I can go there. So to me, the market is flooded with talent. There's only X amount of scholarships you can use. And I think because of the transfer portal and everything else, if you don't sign in December, you could very well end up being screwed come February. Gotcha. Uh, let's go to the next one. This is from Guido. I'm not making that up. It's from Guido. And Guido's talking, Manny, about Rhett Lashley. What if he leaves? Um, you know, what What would the Canes do? He throws in a name in there. Warren Ruggiero from Wake Forest is one of them, for example. He also mentions uh, promoting um, Likens or Justice. Um the most important thing, in my opinion, it says here, is the spread up-tempo offense needs to stay no matter who will call the plays. I think most people will agree with that. So I guess the question is, uh, you know, do you think Rhett is going to leave? If he does, who would replace him? And, and are, and are they going to keep the system in place? I think Rhett only leaves for a head coaching job or another coordinator position that pays him twice as much as he's making at Miami because I'm pretty sure Miami's paying him well. Um, so I think Rhett comes back only because there's not many head coaching positions and a lot of athletic programs are dealing with losses financially. So right. it's not like people are going to be free spending uh, left and right. So I think Rhett comes back for that reason. I also think Rhett comes back because this offense, okay, yes, it's better, but I think so many people credit the Eric King for that and not Rhett. Um, so look, had Miami – beaten Clemson on the road and or even put up 41 points and lost 42 41 would that have made Rhett more sexy yes but even then I still think because of of, of the way uh, college football is financially right now college sports in general I think the odds of him coming back are, are higher than him leaving and I think the only way he leaves is for head coaching job all right let's go to uh Chase he, he's, he's asking about Navon Donaldson. Uh, I assumed his red shirt was his way of opting out, but still staying around the program. I know he was available if needed in the last game. Uh, I know under the current guidelines, a player can take snaps in four games and still receive the red shirt. Do you have any information on his reasoning to red shirt? It doesn't, it doesn't really seem to be COVID related, which I don't think it is. I think it's injury related. Uh, so what do you got on Navon Donaldson? Navon Donaldson is totally injury related. He had a serious knee injury in that Duke game last year. Okay. And a lot of it was because of how heavy he is. It's not just the fact that he got injured, but it's also the fact that he's 350 pounds. And so he's a kid that's battled serious weight issues. It's affected the way that he's played and he has a lot of talent. I think there's a lot of people who look at him and say, this is a guy who could play in the NFL. He's one of the highest rated kids coming out of high school. The problem with Navon has always been conditioning and getting himself in a position where he is performing at an elite level. And I think a lot of it requires weight loss. Now, of course, when you injure your knee, uh, you spend a lot of time on the couch eating whatever. And I think Navon, it certainly affected him coming back. And part of his, reason in a slow return aside from the injuries that you got to lose weight. And, and so um, this season has been difficult because of COVID. Um, and I think he's, you know, all the talk from the beginning of the season when the Vaughn was, if he comes back, it's going to be late in the year. If he comes back, I can tell you, I've spoken to family members and people around him. If he comes back, it's going to be late in the year. Well, it's late in the year 
And I still think he's getting himself in shape. I don't think he's in in a hundred percent playing shape. And if you and if you listen to anything that Garen Justice said, or Rhett Lashley or Manny Diaz, they they've said it over the couple of weeks now. He was only going to be available in an emergency situation against Virginia Tech, and I still think that's the case. I think he has to really. The only way they're going to put him out there is if he's physically ready, because you don't want to risk him. He's he is a guy that if he gets himself in shape next year going into Alabama in the opener and that game is still going on, he's going to be really big because he is an upgrade over, over Usman Treor and Ja'Kai Clark and even DJ Scaife, who, who has not played very well this year. I think he would be your number one guard. A fully optimal Navon Donaldson is better than anything else you've got at the guard position right now. Yeah, uh, DJ Scaife has not. And that last game that Miami played, the they got beat on inside pass rushes. <laughs> Well, I think it was the last game Miami played, and I haven't seen that in a while. Like, I, I'm, I'm used to seeing, like, the ends uh, beat the tackles. The tackles um, have played a lot better this year than, than the, in, the yeah, interior line. But, but there was scary the amount of uh, pressure and sacks they gave up uh, on the inside, so that was disconcerting. Um, let's move on to the next one. This is from Lawrence, wants to know, Manny, what is the deadline for players who want to return for an extra year of eligibility to declare? How about for those who want to enter the portal? Yeah, I don't know because the calendar is, is kind of all up in the air right now. I don't know that dates are firmly set because of the the way the seasons have gone. Um, the NCAA sets those dates uh, as far as when somebody can can declare or, or return to school, et cetera. Um, my guess is the NFL draft is still going to go on when it goes on. And so whatever the dates were last year, are pro- are probably going to be the case again. Um, what did, what specifically did he want to know, Walter? If you could repeat the question again, just so I can get it right. What is a deadline for players who want to return for an extra year of eligibility to declare? Yeah. Yeah. And what about those who want to enter the portal? Well, the portal is always open, right? The portal is always open. You can declare that you're getting in the portal whenever you want. And, and so that never changes. Now, as far as coming back, I got to imagine it's February signing day. It's it's the time when the coaches are sitting there counting scholarships. And again, the NCAA has granted everybody the ability to come back next year. So what what is that number going to reach? Is it going to be 110 scholarships? Is it going to be less than that? Is it only going to be seniors who can come back? None of that information has been finalized. The NCAA has kind of just left everything fluid. So I think for now, um, you know, <laughs> you kind of just have to play it by ear and see and see when the NCAA answers those questions. But ultimately, if a guy's going to decide whether to go pro or come back, that's you know, I would assume, uh, you know, there's a deadline for that. I don't know the exact date. I mean, if the portal is always open, if you didn't hit record this time, I'm going to put my name in the portal tomorrow. I mean, it's <laughs> just just the way to. I'm not going to do this a third time, so. Uh, you might colleges might see my name in that portal if you didn't hit record. Anyway, let's go to the next question. This is from Chris. I haven't heard of any Miami commitments in a while. Are we pretty much at our class with only the possibility of decommits? Are there players out there you think we have a legit shot at either flipping if they're already committed or getting the crystal ball to land in our favor? In other words, people love them some recruiting. Yeah, and I've been really lazy with recruiting this year because I feel it's total turd shit right now. I mean, nobody's taking official visits anywhere. 
nobody, like he said, nobody's uh, committed anywhere in a while. Miami's last commitment, I think, was like August 20 something, if I'm not mistaken. Um, people aren't adding commitments. I mean, they are, but it's, it's just not what it is, what it normally is. And that's because nobody's taking official visits and all of that is shut down to April. So I think to me, a lot of recruits are starting to decommit right now. The guys who don't want to go play for programs where they think there's going to be coaching changes or where they there's been a lot of losing. So I think a lot of teams like Miami who have three or four scholarships left have been waiting to see who well, who's going to become available. Who do I, who do I prioritize as a recruit? Who do I really try to get a commitment from a, a committable commitment? Because it's one thing to have an offer. It's another thing to, 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 to be able to tell a team, Hey, I want one of those spots. I'm ready to lock it down. You may have had that offer in August or July or June, but as coaches evaluate, you know, film and and decide, well, we can get a better cornerback here. We can get a better quarterback here. We can get a better receiver. They're waiting to see who drops. And so that's what, that's the game that's being played right now uh, is we're, th- we're, we're less than three weeks away from signing day and everybody's looking to see, well, who's going to become available on the market and who is it. And that's why you haven't had commitments. So it will start to change here, I think in, in a week or two. And certainly by December 16th, you're going to start to see some, some flipping, so to speak. Well, yeah, Miami probably ha- there hasn't been much going on because they already got 21 kids, and you always want to hold out some scholarships for those really absolutely. great players. Yeah, so absolutely. That's probably why. Manny, we're down to our final two questions in this. Uh, I mean, the longest podcast in uh, recorded history. We're almost uh, we're almost to the end. So uh, let's see here. We get Bruce. Bruce wants to know about the cardiac canes as he calls it. What is your opinion of the fourth quarter heroics from the current team? Are the coaches making game adjustments or the players just spe- stepping up to the job, get to get job done? Or is it a bit of both? Uh, what is the role of special teams in, in, in all of this? So the question is about those uh, fourth quarter fantastic finishes. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, it's so hard because it feels like they haven't played in forever. Uh, but you, you you go back to these last couple wins at NC State on the road where they came back and then at Virginia Tech where they came back. And I think the common theme in all of that was you had great execution from all three units, right? You had great punts from Lou Headley. You had good field goals uh, from Jose Borregales. So the special teams aspect, they've been solid. I think the defense is, has played much better in the fourth quarter. I think some of that is adjustments. Uh, I think some of that is Blake Baker and Manny Diaz conferring and deciding, hey, this is how we're going to approach slowing this team down. We've now had three quarters to watch what they're doing. Now we're going to we're going to throw this at them to confuse them. And then I think the other aspect is uh, De'Ara King. Like he, he is such a special player. He can make a lot of great throws. Uh, he knows how to read defenses and he is the difference. He's making the plays for them, whether with his legs, his feet. Uh, his arms, whatever he's doing, what what needs to be done, and it's and it's nice. Now, is, is that the way that they need to play every single game? No. Um, I think Manny Diaz has pointed out in the past that you know playing that up tempo style gets the other team tired by the fourth quarter. Is that true? I don't know because I think a lot of teams in college football play that up tempo style, and while it while it may get the defense tired, I think teams are certainly. Uh, rotating enough on defense that, you know, they can sort of survive that. 
Um, so, and I haven't heard, I didn't hear NC State and I didn't hear Virginia Tech say they were tired in the fourth quarter because Miami was playing at high pace. As, as much as many of these may believe that, I can tell you from listening to those post-game interviews from the other team, nobody said that they were tired. So um, I think, you know, they're just, they're doing what they need to do. And it's, and it's good. That's sometimes, you know, what makes a team great is what it does in the fourth quarter. And, and, you know, that's been Miami's tradition for years, holding those four fingers up in the fourth quarter. Well, now it means something again. Well, they may not say they're tired, but Manny, I have seen some players gasping uh, when Miami has it going. Now the, the problem with the rules committee is, and we saw in that FIU game last year where they're falling on the floor. We haven't seen it that blatant this year, but I have seen sometimes when guys injuries and they stop the momentum that Miami has. So I have seen, uh, again, they players and athletes, I don't know they're going to admit that they're tired. Who's going to do that. But but I have seen some evidence of that, that pace. And the other thing that I love about it, too, is in the old days of Miami, you know, when, especially when they're inefficient, you would see the penalties for delay of game. You don't see that in this system. I mean, I, I love the system, and I think it has had at least some effect in, in my view, just from what I'm, again, with my, what my eyes tell me. Manny, it's down to the last question. Uh, <laughs> this is from Kevin says, if Virginia Tech somehow beats Clemson and Miami beats Duke, are the Canes and Tar Heels canceled so Miami gets a week off before Charlotte? <laughs> Great question. Uh, I don't know. And officially, no, I don't, I don't think so. I think uh, the ACC is going to do everything it can to get Clemson into the ACC championship game. So if Miami uh, somehow beats Duke, yeah, you got to play that extra game, right, to uh, – Right. to get in and you get no bye week because we got to make sure Notre Dame has the bye week and Miami does it. No, I honestly, I don't know the answer. I, I think uh, right now the plan is to definitely play those two games. And uh, if Miami is uh, eight and one and, and Clemson somehow falls behind them because they lose to Virginia tech, maybe the ACC could say, well, but I, I, I tend to not think that's what's going to happen. I think, uh, they're going to make Miami play that North Carolina game. Navarro, I've got my own question for you. Isn't the best thing that can happen for the Canes and the ACC, you know, looking forward, the Jets fire Adam Gase, as we know they will. Then they got the number one pick. They get Trevor, but not just Trevor. They said, who can coach Trevor <laughs> like his college coach? I'm, this, is a, this is a legit scenario. They throw, throw a bunch of money at Dabo. And they get the Dabo Trevor one-two punch, get them out of Miami's hair, off the Jets go to the Super Bowl. What, what do you think of that? Uh, you know, if you're the, in all seriousness, if you're the Jets, don't you don't you try to pair them up? Absolutely. But if, if you're the Jets, are you going to spend ten million dollars on a head coach? Oh yeah, they, they, money's not their issue. I, I think it's sucking is their issue. Uh, I don't know if Dabo wants to leave college. I don't think these coaches should ever leave college. Once they've got it rolling, we saw with Nick Saban. That's the, the only bugaboo in that plan is if you're a smart coach, why would you ever leave? You've got a guaranteed success every year because every year you get like 25 first-round picks. In the NFL, you only get one, right? You get anybody you want if you're Nick Saban. You get anybody you want if you're Clemson. Get anybody you want if you're Ohio State. So to me, but but the nature of sports, they always want to challenge themselves at the next level. We saw it at Miami. Jimmy Johnson said he regretted leaving Miami, but they all chased that, almost all of them chased the dollar, chased the NFL, chased the next challenge. 
But I don't know. I think that would be the best scenario for Miami if uh, if it's a if it's a combo platter and they go off to uh, New York or whoever gets the number one pick. No doubt. I think to, to catch Clemson, you basically need three consecutive seasons of at least 10 wins so that you get three consecutive reason, uh, seasons of top 10 recruiting classes. You do that, and now you're back to where Clemson is from a talent perspective. And, and that's not easy to do. And what do you think of what the uh, – I said I have one question. I got one more. The Pittsburgh coach, uh, Pitt Panthers, he had a comment earlier, which I'm, I'm sure you saw, and I don't think you and I ever talked about it, where he was kind of like – uh, putting the onus on Notre Dame, either you're in or you're not. Uh, you know, basically he didn't like Notre Dame, you know, like, oh, now you need us and now you play an ACC schedule. I'm sure you saw those comments. What did you think of – Was he? did he have a point? Well, I mean, look, this is a special season. And I think you, because of COVID-19, teams were going to go to the extreme. And let's face it, the Atlantic Coast Conference would have done anything to get Notre Dame in here to help TV ratings. They already have a partnership anyway, so that Notre Dame plays six ACC teams a year, uh, which is helping their the TV revenue that the ACC is getting. I, I think, yeah, I mean, look, his point of get you're either in or you're out, I get it. He, you know, you want, you want it to work out. Uh, you don't want them to just come in and benefit from, hey, you're in a conference, now you can play in a, in, in a conference championship game right away your first year. Um, but the reality is Pat Narduzzi's needs and wants and desires do not compare to the conference and their financial desires. And they will take uh, one hot season with Notre Dame uh, if right. they can get it. And that's what they did. He's feeling like a jilted lover is Pat Narduzzi is what you're saying. Yes. You know, he he is. doesn't want the one night stand. He wants it. He wants to put a ring on it, put a ring on it. And Notre Dame ain't going to put a ring on it because they're Notre Dame and they've got NBC money and they've got, all kinds of history and tradition and they can, you know, they can come in here and they can push the ACC around and the ACC will gladly take it because, Hey, you know what? It helps us make more money. All right, Navarro, I guess you got to hit uh, record or stop record or do whatever you do. I think we're done. <laughs> Walter via, I appreciate it, brother. Uh, this is another episode of wide, right? Be sure to check in back with us next week as we uh, talk about the Duke blue doubles.